0: Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Um, I'm very impressed with how many people are here with Daylight Savings, but absolutely no judgment. If you are watching this online, maybe even later this week, uh, because I realized it was Daylight Savings when my alarm went off at seven this morning, it was still dark outside. So that's how prepared I was. Um, and then I, I got my husband pretty good because I changed all the clocks by the time he woke up. So he was like, is it really Daylight Savings? But thank you for being here today. It's really good to see you. Um, My name is Ellie Carlson, and I um, have been here for about six years with my husband, Jake. uh, And I'm not a regular up here, so I'm gonna take a minute just to introduce myself a little bit if we don't know each other. Um, Jake and I have been married for 12 years, and we've got three little boys that you've probably seen running around. Gus, Huck, and Wally, they are five, five, and almost four. So we've got a good, a good little brood that looks like triplets. Uh, both my husband and I are high school teachers. I taught Spanish and history for eight years uh, before staying home full-time with our kids. So right now, I am mom and also part-time student. I'm doing an online master's degree that will get me ready to go back to the classroom when our kids go to school, um, and I'm excited about that. But that's where I'm coming from. That's who I am. That's what life looks like for me right now. Uh, And I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, Prepping for this sermon was work. Um, But it was worthy work, and it was a really meaningful time of reflection for me. Um, So I just want to take a minute to pray. Before we get started, dedicate this time to God kind of quiet our hearts. So so let's pray together. God, God. We do, we just dedicate this time to you. We are here today to learn from you. uh, And I just pray that you would meet us here. We desire to know you more. We desire to be more like you. And we ask that you would be at work here in this church today. We welcome your wisdom. And we just thank you for Sunday mornings, whether they're in this building or at home online, where we just get a chance to be still, still, and recenter ourselves on you. So we just pray that you would make that happen today. Amen. Well, we've entered our season of Lent, and although it's looking like we might be digging eggs out of snowbanks, um, Easter is actually around the corner. Uh, and as you heard from Jace last week, we've started a series as we prepare for Easter based on a book, and it is called The Sign and the Sacrifice, The Meaning of the Cross and Resurrection by Rowan Williams. A fitting title for the season, right? And Jace kicked us off so well last week with the cross as a sign that points to a new reality established by Jesus' death. And this week, I get to talk about sacrifice and what we learn from the cross about sacrifice. Just a real uh, softball of a sermon topic. So thanks a lot, Marshall, wherever you're watching from home. Uh, some of you were here last time I spoke when I shared a clip from the, the theologically rich film Moana. And to be totally honest, when I heard I was speaking on sacrifice, the only thing that came to my head was the final scene of Cars 1 where Lightning McQueen throws the race for the king. It's, it's just so good. I just wanted to show that, kind of mic drop, walk out. That's all you need to know. Um, but it turns out we post our sermon videos to YouTube and copyright laws are a thing. So sorry, Disney on that one. That's my bad. Um, and there goes my easy sermon on the beauty of sacrifice, but it's okay. It's okay. We can save Lightning McQueen for family movie night because there is, there's so much good stuff here to dive into. In fact, today I see three aspects of sacrifice that I'd like to touch on. The first one being the meaning of Jesus's ultimate sacrifice for us. The second being our response to Jesus's sacrifice. And then there's the call to self-sacrifice as a part of walking with Jesus. And each of these informs the other, right? If we want to know what it means to live for Jesus, we've got to start with how Jesus came to live with us. So in that book that I mentioned, Rowan Williams starts out by explaining that Jesus' sacrifice happened at a specific time in history, and it happened within a really specific cultural context of the Jewish nation. And in that cultural context, animal sacrifice was a really integral part. And because of that, Jews of that day immediately had a richer and frankly, just different understanding of the significance of Jesus's death on the cross than we do in our context today. Now, if you're like me, you learned about the purpose of the cross with maybe like a legal or a financial perspective, the I'm guilty, he's not, he takes the penalty in my place or the I owe a debt, I can't pay, he pays it for me. Does that sound like familiar theology to anyone? I see nodding heads. So William contends that that's not wrong, but it's not the connotation that those first Jewish Christians would have held. When they heard that Jesus died for the sins of the world, their minds would have gone to the temple, not a court of law, not alone. These people knew sacrifice inside and out. And it's very hard for me to imagine that in our modern pets with Instagram era, which I'm not complaining about for the record, but it was the reality. It was a part of life. In Jewish culture, animal sacrifices were a functional part of life and they served many purposes. They could buy back a life into safety, particularly that of a firstborn son. They could make peace between people in conflict. Sacrifices could do away with guilt. They could make atonement for sin. Sacrifices turned away the anger and displeasure of God and confirmed and reestablished the covenant which was God's promise to be with and to be for his people. And all of that, all of those things, were a part of the early Christians' understanding of what Jesus' sacrifice meant. And we have just got to recognize that our modern American culture tends towards individualism, self-reliance, and really just a general skepticism that the spiritual realm exists. Williams is saying that the cultural context of Jesus' sacrifice helps us to see that it was communal. It was dependent on Him alone, and it was absolutely world changing, path altering in the spiritual realm. And when we look at it through the eyes of those first Jewish Christians that were the, the primary witnesses, it can enrich our modern understanding. That when we see the cross, we can be reminded that God has made a covenant with us, a promise that he is with us and he is for us. And God does not break his promises. And then Williams expands on sacrifice in light of two different themes, sacrifice as obedience and sacrifice as gift. And I had a lot of fun reading this part. So all of the animal sacrifices that went before Jesus resulted in the death of the animal forever. It bled, it died, it was gone, right? In the life of the Jew, They had been doing this for thousands of years. And then this sacrifice, this Jesus, he died, just like millions of animals. But then he came back. And that hadn't happened before. That was pretty new. But his death wasn't the beginning of the story. Before Jesus ever went to the cross, he also lived a new kind of life, a life of sacrifice. At every moment of his life, he gave his heart to God in such a way that God was able to work through him with no interruption. Jesus was in line with the will of his father in every word and every step. The heart of Jesus's sacrifice was his obedience He submitted his heart, his will, his decisions to the Father. And then Williams points out that the Jewish people developed this elaborate system of animal sacrifices to atone for their sins and restore their relationship with God. And yet time and time again, they were a missed opportunity. They carried out these sacrifices with no impact on their hearts or behavior. Speaking to this, 1 Samuel 15, says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And I'll come back to this one, but I'm pretty confident that this warning of it's not as much about what you do, but about where your heart is was probably not just for Jews at the time. And every time we hear the Bible say, not this way, we look to Jesus and we say, then what way? And Jesus' entire life can be seen as a sacrifice to God and that he walked obediently with his father every single day of his life on earth. And we too are called to that sacrificial obedience. But after all of that, I have to admit, I really struggle with the word obedience it just has this connotation for me of do what I say because I said so. And you don't have to understand it, you just have to do it. And I'll be honest, sometimes it, it feels like a tired and antiquated value in our modern world, full of partisanship and misinformation, where questioning and understanding why are really important. And as a parent, It's often difficult, but I want to foster a spirit of critical thinking, understanding why we are who we are or why we do what we do. We live in a time where our worldly authorities are often far from trustworthy, so I want my kids to be able to respectfully question authority and swim against the flow when it's going the wrong way. So I find myself struggling with obedience as it can feel in conflict with those values. And yet, I read, to obey is better than sacrifice. So what do I do with that? Well, then Williams expands on sacrifice as a gift, a gift that makes peace, and it informs my understanding of obedience. He writes the most moving and sense-making paragraph on obedience that I think I've ever read. So let me read it for you. Obedience is not springing to attention and hastily doing what you're ordered. Our actions in obedience reflect his. So to put it simply, what most pleases God is God. God loves to see his selfless love reflected, to see his beauty mirrored back to him. Thus, the perfect gift to God, the gift that God would really like, is God. The return to him of his holy, generous love. Obedience to a perfect, loving God has less to do with because I said so and so much more to do with relationship. Williams goes on to add this. This is a God who pours out love and draws it back. A God who is himself relationship, not a solitary tyrant waiting for us to get on the right side of him. And the effect of the death of Jesus is to bring us into that everlasting relationship. The father pouring out his love The son watching what the father is doing and playing it back to him. The spirit enabling us to share that response to the father watching and loving. Isn't that good? Not that it matters, but it makes sense to me. Obedience is reflecting God back to God. Living and loving in the same generous, unconditional way that Jesus lived and loved in his time on earth. Obedience is the sacrificial gift we saw Jesus give God and humanity with every moment of his life and death. And obedience is the same gift we are welcomed into as we reflect God back to God. That is to live in love and humility as our creator intended with purpose so that we can experience life to the fullest. Going back to the beginning, yes. Jesus died for our sins. Yes, he paid the price so we don't have to, but there's more. Jesus chose to step into this ugly, broken world with his perfect gift of sacrificial obedience. He stepped between God and human failure and became a new face for humanity because of his gift, his life, his obedience, his sacrifice, we get to be at peace with God. Our sins are forgiven and we have a new trajectory. We get to be a part of that beauty being mirrored back to God. When we zoom out and see that the creator of the universe includes us in that circle of relationship, the only response is awe and worship. And I do I do have moments of profound awe at the scope of what this means for me. But it's also sometimes easy to lose sight of the truth and the wonder of Jesus's sacrifice in the everyday. A few weeks ago, God was so gracious to help me experience that in a fresh way when I really needed it. And I'd like to share it with you. Some of you know, uh, my husband and I became licensed foster parents a little over a year ago now. And bear with me, this story requires just a little bit of context. In this process, I've done lots of trainings, and I've spent a lot of time learning about what's called trauma-informed parenting. Essentially, research-based practices for parenting children who have experienced trauma. In learning about trauma-informed parenting, there's a phrase that I've heard repeated many times, share your calm. The idea behind this one is that all kids, especially those with trauma, can become dysregulated. That's a fancy word for freak out, meltdown, tantrum, whatever you call it in your house. Maybe that doesn't happen in your house. (laughs) The reality is, when a kid or anyone's brain becomes dysregulated, there is no reasoning with them Their brains are in fight-or-flight mode. They are totally shut down to input. And then, to make matters worse, the human reaction to someone losing their mind is that we go fight-or-flight. For all of you that have experienced a full-scale meltdown, you know The heart racing, cheeks flushing, mad, scared, maybe I'm going to yell, maybe I'm going to cry sensation that goes through your body. It turns out that it doesn't matter that the threat is half your size, our bodies react. Trauma-informed parenting says the best thing I can do is to stay near and just do the work to keep myself regulated. Share your call. They don't know what to do with what's happening to them, but I can stay present to show them they're not alone and they're loved no matter what, and I can model self-regulation. Problem solving will need to happen, but that's for later. In the moment, the job is to share your calm. Well, we had a little one stay with us uh, for just a week, a few over, uh, just a few months ago, and he was the sweetest little dinosaur-loving boy, well, carnivore-loving boy that absolutely stole our hearts. There's a difference. And he had been profoundly impacted by a life of severe trauma. To keep it brief, when things went wrong, they went very wrong. And helping him through his escalations took every ounce of emotional and physical strength that we had. At one point during his stay, I actually had a moment where I was driving by myself and that phrase, share your calm, was just replaying in my head. I hope I can explain this the way that it made sense to me, but as I was physically shaking from adrenaline, I just started to pray that God would give me enough calm to share. I had never before been so aware of energy, like the essence of what I had to give leaving my body. It's like I could almost see it. And so I just asked God to buoy me up, give me the calm that I needed to share with this little boy, equip us to be the safety that his little brain needed. And as I prayed, I became aware of a picture of Jesus carrying the cross. And I could feel the amount of energy that he must have felt leaving his body with the weight of the cross and the abuse and the crucifixion that he knew lay ahead of him. I was so aware in that moment of the essence of him that it took to put one foot in front of the other. And I was struck that he was sharing of himself in that moment, that his carrying of the cross, walking to his death, his sacrifice was sharing of his eternity with us. He let his eternity, his righteousness, his salvation, his holiness go out from him to become available to us. He was fully God and fully human. So he had everything to give, but he felt every ounce of it as it was taken from him. And I was just in this place of feeling so inadequate and just honestly drowning in sorrow for the brokenness of our world. And God showed up as I prayed and he said, I know what it's like to feel wrung out. And this world is not broken beyond repair. I am in it, I see it, and I'm saving it. I was in this place of just feeling like I couldn't do it. And Jesus said, I already did. And seeing Jesus' death on the cross in that way of sharing his eternity and righteousness with us gave me a new way to understand sacrifice. And sometimes for me, it's good to reframe those words that are really important, but you just hear all the time to give them fresh meaning. Maybe sacrifice is sharing. It's choosing to say that what we have is not ours to keep, but it's ours to give back or give away. Luke 9 24 says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What we have been given is meant to be reflected back to God. First John 4 19 says, we love because he first loved us. God came to earth as a human to share his righteousness, salvation, and eternity with humanity. And then Hebrews 12, two, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy, faithful, obedient sacrifice as a pathway to joy. So the question I've been asking myself is, what do I have to share? What does joining Jesus on that path to joy look like for me? And for a mom of three young kids, my first answer was chaos. I have plenty of chaos to share. But then I left because honestly, I think that's probably a really great definition of living in community. Sharing our chaos with each other. And I truly believe there is so much value in that. So I want to open up that question to you today. Not how might you sacrifice yourself for God, but rather, what do you have to share? Time? Abilities? Resources? Space? Stability? A meal? an ear that listens without judging, compassion. There is so much value in just opening up even the mundane parts of our lives to being shared with others. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 even says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. It can be easy to feel like we need to protect what we have, to shore up our own little safe corner in this world. But the Bible says you are already saved and loved. And life with Jesus is to praise him and to share his wealth. But this concept of sacrifice, this sharing what's ours, can have a really negative connotation around just giving something up. It's hard. It goes against our sin nature, our love of self, our love of the world. Sometimes it even goes against our self-preservation instincts we naturally turn towards the things that we think we want or think that we need. And we become protective of those things. And just like the Jews of the Old Testament with their tidy system of animal sacrifices that frequently brought no real heart change, we can take what God has called us to do and we can just tweak it and make it a little more comfortable, a little less jarring to how we want to live our lives. So I just want to offer a caution. Sacrifice is a part of, perhaps central to the Christian walk. Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Ephesians 2.10, We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. I mean, the Bible unequivocally calls us to serve, to give, and to do good. And yet, God did not just create us, to be good people, or just to do right things. He created us for relationship and to experience love and joy and beauty and goodness. But we're remarkably creative creatures that find clever ways to accomplish all sorts of great intentions with a wrong heart. So just as you reflect on how God might be calling you to share in sacrifice, remember what Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up your cross daily and follow me. He says, take up your cross daily and follow him. But I know in my own life, I have done good by taking up my reputation, my pride, instead of the cross. I have chosen to follow over commitment and burnout instead of him. Maybe you have your own version of those pitfalls. This is a church body full of wonderfully kind, capable, committed people but we have to recognize that we're swimming in a culture of self-improvement, do what it takes to get ahead and be your own truth. So as we reflect today on sacrifice, let's remember it's all about him. Rather than limiting ourselves to the good that we believe we can create, let's recognize that he is creator and he is savior. Our truth is that we are created in Him, his image. So reflecting God is really living as who we were meant to be. Sharing and sacrifice in a Jesus context is not just giving something up. It's stepping into a life more full of his purpose, his joy, and his peace. And I just want to finish with an encouragement that God is so faithful To meet us in our sacrifice. One of the best parts about sermon writing is the focused alone time that I get to just reflect on God at work in my own life. And as I've been meditating on just this last year, I really was overwhelmed with God's fulfillment of His promise of joy and life to the fullest. And just this. One aspect of our lives is Jake and I have welcomed new little ones into our home. As foster parents, we've had a lot of fun. We have also absolutely been stretched past what we thought we could do. And through that, I've seen our marriage level up in so many ways. Our communication, our mutual admiration, And our depth of love is in a different place than it was a year ago. I've reached new levels of friendship and just beautiful life-giving dependence when I was totally beyond myself. I've experienced this church community in a new way. Meals, prayer, shared stories, even emergency dinosaur toy care packages... And perhaps most profoundly for me, I have come to accept myself so much more fully in my strengths, but mostly in my weaknesses. As I've been pulled beyond what I could do alone, I have learned to appreciate what other people bring to this world that I can't. And that's without jealousy or feelings of unworthiness, which is a really big deal for me. My heart has been wrung out and in those moments I've experienced prayer like never before where there is just nothing between you and God's presence. And none of those things are things I would have thought to ask for. And they are all so much better than what I ever would have thought I wanted or needed a year ago. God is faithful. What we have is from him. He loves us all the way, no matter what. And when we follow after his example, open-handedly, when we reflect God back to God, in sacrificial obedience, we get to experience life to the fullest. We are not given a finite amount of anything that needs to be protected. We can trust that this life is for the sharing and that what we see here is not the whole story. We get to share in his eternity and his righteousness. He pours it out, we pour it back, he pours it back out again. This is obedience. This is sacrifice. It's not mindlessly slaying the goat or taking on just one more worthy task, but seeing who God is and reflecting his likeness back to him into the world that he loves. And in the midst of all that is love and beauty and hearts broken for what breaks his. So I'd just like to pray. I'd like to thank God for all of these things and also to ask him to speak to us. So pray with me, please. God, we thank you for the love and the beauty of your life and sacrifice. We ask that you break our hearts for what breaks yours. We desire to live lives of obedience and abundance. As we move into ministry time today, I pray that you would speak to each one of us about what reflecting you might look like in our own life. We ask for the Holy Spirit to be at work in this church to reveal where we might be able to share in what you've given us. God, please refocus our hearts on you where our help comes from. Make us people that are defined by generosity and sacrifice, but may it always point to you and you alone. Amen.